Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Some of you think Romans 8 is the best chapter in the Bible. Maybe the best chapter in Romans. I want to put Romans 5 up there as a competitor against Romans chapter 8. It's a great chapter. It's simple to understand. I hope you see its four sections as I outlined them to you in the preparatory email sent out last evening. We've got the first five verses of five blessings in this life now purchased by Jesus Christ. Verses 6 through 11 detailed for us the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and his ongoing intercession for us. The two Adams and imputation in verses 12 through 19. And then the reigning power of grace and righteousness over sin and death, even when the law of Moses enters in. And since we just sang, grace greater than all my sin, let's go ahead and read the last two verses of Romans 5. The last two, which is section number 4 of this chapter. As if verses 12 through 19 were not enough that we're condemned in Adam, Paul writes, Moreover, in addition to our condemnation in Adam, moreover, the law entered. 2,500 years after creation, the law of Moses was given on Mount Sinai to Israel. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, that our sinfulness would abound by showing that we'll break every kind of commandment that God gives us. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that's what we just sang, and that's what we ought to believe. And verse 21, that as sin hath reigned, reigning power of sin unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Though there was an Adam that condemned us, and though there was the law of Moses that condemned us, grace abounded above it all. And as sin and death reign by Adam and reign by the law of Moses, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Sin and death reigned. They had reigning power, grace and righteousness through Jesus Christ defeated them. And so we have them reigning over us unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to the first five verses. This is not to be complicated. I have a complicated outline. And it could be made more complicated because these verses open up whole vistas of God's blessings to us while we're alive now in this world. And I don't want you to forget verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in a gracious setting with God. We are under his favor. He looks upon us with kindness and benevolence and wants to do everything for us if we'll just access it by faith. We have the key to open access to God's gracious, glorious blessings to us. If we'll just believe his promises and go with them, his spirit will be strengthened in our lives. He'll testify to us on the inside. He'll bless us on the outside. He'll hold our hand. Some of those songs we sang this morning about being on his breast and his, his loving arms wrapped around us. John wasn't afraid of language like that, and we shouldn't be afraid of language like that. If a son of thunder could talk about being in the arms of his Savior and resting on his bosom at supper time, then surely we can talk that way about our beloved God. Right. When Moses wrote underneath of the everlasting arms, 
I hope you like that picture in your mind. Amen. And they are some everlasting arms that are under us. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that we stand in right now. It is such a wonderful concept. Justified believers have the further benefit and blessing of fellowship on earth with God as Father. A friendly, exchanging relationship, intimate and personal, comforting and delightful, pleasant to the soul in every way possible with the God of heaven, the creator God purchased by Jesus Christ. But you can lose it, you can neglect it, you can forsake it, you can overlook it, but I'm preaching to you today not to do so, but to access it by faith. Grace is unmerited favor and blessings, or better yet, grace is demerited favor and blessings from God. We may walk with God, boldly approach God, and have God draw nigh to us through grace. Fellowship with God is far more and way beyond just justification. Like friendship, trust trumps acquittal. Right. For a judge to bring his gavel down, I was going to bring a gavel. I was going to bring a gavel. Maybe that would help you understand it. Acquittal is innocent. You're free to go. I don't want to be free to go. The last time I was let go free, look what I did in Eden. I went for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want to be let go. And so how do I become friends with the judge? Fellowship is so much better than acquittal. We We just don't want acquittal from the judge of the universe. We want him to be our friend. We want him to be our father. We want to be in fellowship with him. Abraham is called the friend of God. And we want to be like that, and that's the grace that we stand in now. Jesus came to bring life, spiritual and eternal, and he intended it more abundantly. Those who believe on him receive the indwelling presence of God himself. And we spent so many weeks going through John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17. We shouldn't even need to rehash it, because that was only a few months ago, but that's available to us by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts 2.37. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Simple faith resulting in repentance and baptism brings the presence of God into your life, and it's something we need to pursue every day. Do you remember in the last few months Have I more than once presented to you that in the book of Ephesians, there are two references to the Holy Ghost in each of the six chapters? Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Because Paul was pushing something way beyond he had given them in his two years in that city. Total of three years. He pushed them with those 12 ministries of the Holy Spirit that they should have. And only a couple of them are related to what we typically call, you know, election and regeneration. Paul's pushing way beyond that. A few weeks ago, I presented some slides to you that showed by chapter of Ephesians on the left what are often our favorites. And on the right, what were Paul's focus. Do you remember that? We took the chapters of Ephesians what are often our favorites, like chosen in him before the foundation of the world, 
and then looked at Paul's focus that they would advance beyond that because there is oh so much more. He said, I pray to him of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named in Ephesians 3.14, that by the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner man, the full dimensions of Jesus Christ's love for us will be taught to us and they pass knowledge until we're filled with all the fullness of God. Now you've heard that so many times from me, but that is a cross-reference for this passage right here, the grace wherein we stand. You can, by prayer and pursuit of learning Jesus Christ better, have the fullness of God in your heart. You can be filled with joy of the Holy Ghost. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, help us to have that. We want to take advantage of this grace wherein we stand. You can go to God boldly. There's a new and living way that's been opened for you into heaven. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of Jehovah. How do we even, how do we describe it? How do we comprehend it? How do we grasp it? Your body is the temp, your physical body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This body of believers is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's incomprehensible. I am his, and he is mine, and we don't need you. And you should be saying that to me, and only in a certain respect, because he wants us to have this body relationship as well. And you know, there's a lot of... Wandering through that lunchroom an hour ago, I was out of my mind. I wanted to hug every single person in there. It had been an ugly sight. (laughs) I was just messed every single one of you, because God's given us, he's taught us, we love him and he loves us, and we're supposed to love everyone else that's begotten of him as well. It's, It's vertical, then it goes horizontal, and if it doesn't go horizontal, then there must not be anything vertical. That's what he teaches in 1 John 4 and 5. And when you're, when you're experiencing both, it doesn't get any better in, in this world. When you're experiencing those two things together, it's part of the grace wherein we stand. Like I said, we could talk a long time about adoption, and it's just one aspect or angle on this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This hope is that we are soon going to be manifested to the universe. Romans chapter 8 describes it. It's called the manifestation of the sons of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to tell the whole universe, these are my children. These are the sons of God. And I mean this in, in all proper reverence. The rest of you go to hell. Unbelievable. It's what's coming. He's going to present us to the Father. Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. We're all here, Father. I redeemed every one of them, and I have not lost a single one. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, we're going to hear. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. That is the hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in it. And 1 Peter 1 talks all about it and the inheritance that we have coming for us. But let's get to verse 3. And not only so, what do those words mean? We have more to add to the list, is what those words mean. And not only so, not just those three blessings 
What are those three blessings? Peace, the grace wherein we stand, and rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. There's a fourth one. And so we have the words, and not only so, don't quit at verse 2. We've got another one coming up in verses 3 and 4. I'm going to tell you, Paul loves piling on. Piling on can be a hurtful thing. Piling on can be an exciting thing. And piling on when it's evidence is bring us, bringing a tsunami to bear. Because, and not only so, look at verse 11. Does Paul like those words? Verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Verse 6, Jesus dying for you when you were ungodly and without strength, isn't that enough? Verse 7, no one else is going to die for you, not really, but he did. Is that enough? Verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Is that satisfied? 9, if we're justified by his blood, then we're going to be saved from wrath through him because he's not going to let the wrath of God touch us. That, that should, we should be content now. But it says, for if, 10, he wants to explain it, we were enemies, we were reconciled, how much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life, and he doesn't want to quit there, and not only so, we have received the atonement. We have been put at one with God again. And he, he loves piling on. And so he's piling on here. We have peace. We have this grace wherein we stand as the sons of God. And we rejoice in hope of what's coming in the future. But what about the bad things that happen now? He's got an answer for that. And that's verses 3 and 4. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. There's that list being built. That also. It's not just peace by justification. It's not just the grace wherein we stand. It's not three items with rejoicing and hope of the glory of God. There's a fourth one now. Glorying in tribulations. Also, in addition to those three. And not only so, really makes it obvious that he is adding and wants us to get the list and not overlook any one of the individual parts. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Precious words, and not only so, because it constructs a list for us. But we glory in tribulations also. To glory in something is to be excited and triumph about it, to rejoice proudly in it, that's a dictionary definition. It's like, don't let the rich man glory in his riches or the wise man in his wisdom or the strong man in his strength, but glory in this, that he knows and understands me. And this is glorying in tribulations, getting excited about tribulations. This is the best school in the land that your father has arranged for you to get entrance right. and is sending you to it, and he's going to write you every month while you're gone, and he's going to deal with the, your instructors. He's going to get you tutors if you need them. And he's going to give you the best job when you graduate. Would you be offended with a father like that? Well, that's this father right here. Right. And we shouldn't be offended with him. Because he's just sending us to school so that he can get us the best education. And he can show us 
that he's going through it holding our hand and he's going to take care of us every inch of the way. And if you ever feel that you are overwhelmed and he's no longer taking care of you, you forgot him and you stepped away. Because David said, when my spirit is overwhelmed within me, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And that's God our Father, and he'll be there for you. Amen. These, this little progression in verses 3 and 4 is just as precious as the rest of this. A tribulation is a condition of great affliction, oppression, or misery. Believers who know they are saved can count pain, suffering, and trial as all joy. That's what the Bible says. It's the grace that we stand in. James chapter 1, knowing this first, counting, all, counting it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations. We're supposed to know it. Knowing this, here it's knowing that. Look at the words in the middle of verse 3. Knowing that. This is something that we're supposed to know, and we should never forget it, that when tribulations come... They are not outside the control of our Heavenly Father. He planned them. He's got a purpose in them. He has infinitely wise design in every tribulation that comes our way. He knows exactly your buttons. He knows how much pressure this is putting on you. And he knows that if you'll just turn to him, he's got all the strength to get you through it. He's He's a perfect Heavenly Father. It's his graduate school, and we're supposed to know about it. We're supposed to know that the reason we have a hard class to take is to separate us from others and make us his special children. When you take, kids, when you take a class in college and it's easy, I know what you're thinking. Trust me, I thought it well before you. That when you have an easy class and an easy teacher, you want to you walk out and thank the Lord, don't you? Yeah, thank him for a curse. Because you want a hard class. Because it's only a hard class that's going to separate you from the riffraff, and otherwise known as the rabble, that's on the sidewalk. You need a hard class to make, it, to make a difference. And so sometimes we get some hard classes. But it's to make us better. It's to separate us from the crowd. It's to be his children. He's going to lead us through it. He's going to hold your hand. Do you think he's ever going to leave you? You know, you never spend spend a night alone in your bed from God. That's That's my favorite place with him because there's no distractions. And multitasking ends in bed for the most part. I thank the Lord for that. You're never alone. He's always with you. He's going to see you through it. How many times have you felt overwhelmed before you went to bed when you got up in the morning just by the sleep and whatever the Lord did to you during the night, you looked at life with a whole new lease on life in the morning? Right. Have you ever, isn't that wonderful when he does that? Amen. And sometimes you go to bed with questions and problems that you can't figure out and you wake up in the morning. That was so simple. Why didn't I think of that last? Well, he put it in your head during the night. Right. David says the Lord instructs my reins during the night seasons. And Elihu said the same thing. And it's part of the grace in which we stand, but the apostle has focused on our tribulations. And so it says, and not only so, over adding to the three blessings of verses 1 and 2, but we glory 
in tribulations also, we get excited about them. When a, when a dad or a father, I, I don't know what analogies to use to help you, because I really don't like them. I love the Bible, and what it says is just fantastic. Right. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. I don't need a whole lot more than that. But when your dad gives you an assignment, I want you to run a 5K for me. I'd like you to set a PR. You know, a PR, Dad, that's mean, that means i got to run the best I've ever run. I'd love to, I'd love to see you do it. I'm going to be cheering. Listen, I want you to do it on a track. I hate these road courses, these road races, because once you leave the starting line, I never get to see you again. So I want you to do it on a track. I know that it's 12 and a half laps. <clears throat> I'm going to run back and forth across the infield, so we're going to see each other 25 times during your 5K. But I want you to set a PR, and I'm going to be there cheering you on every 200 yards, every 200 meters. You know, there's children in here that would go do that for their dads, and there's children in here that would do it for this dad. And I know I wasn't a very big spender, but going to McDonald's to let you have anything you wanted after that was, was a nice reward, and you thought it was pretty big spending. The Lord's with us every day. I want you to think about what, what you've got to do today, what you have to do tomorrow, as running a 5K on a track. It is 12 and a half laps. 12 and a half times 400 meters is 5K or 5,000 meters. And the Lord's running back and forth and cheering me on. It's my fault if I'm looking at something else. If I'm looking up in the bleachers instead of him in the infield, it's my fault. But he's always there. And so he leads us through these tribulations. Glorying in tribulation is not some masochistic, that self-mutilation or self-abuse of self-inflicted pain like monks or nuns or like the foolish and pagan rituals and ritual crucifixions in Mexico and the Philippines. It's not like that. Glorying in tribulation means you're aligning yourself with Jesus Christ who suffered for you. I want a piece of the action, Lord. You went and did it all. This is what Paul said. I want a piece of the action. Let me have a little bit of that so I know just how much you love me. Glorying in tribulation is also evidence of eternal life. For God works this change for you to want to have some of that. It's an evidence of eternal life. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that. Glorying in tribulation can be to exalt God's strength by weakness. Paul begged God three times, get this thorn in the flesh away from me. It is a pain and trouble to me. The Lord said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's how long of a sermon it took for Paul. I wish that we could learn as quickly. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you know what the next words are? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities right. that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Right. How can we show the power of our God through us without a little bit of the martyr's life? But we're never going to get near the martyrs. We just think we're martyrs because we have a few little extra chores to do someday or some little, dis some little difference that's risen in our family or some little difference that's risen with someone else and we start to think that we're a martyr, but we're not. We don't even tie the life of Job. And he's there with us. And so we say, 
Most gladly. This is what Paul said. All he needed to hear was, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You can't show the power of Christ in prosperity. You can show the power of Christ in tribulation. The Lord lets a lot of the, the wicked have prosperity in this world. Glorying in tribulation can be based on your father's pity, the strength he gives to endure it, and the knowledge that he's going to give a way to escape. He wants you to know his love for you by all means, not just eternal inheritance, but by deliverance. He's going to be with you through it. True faith in God recognizes his providential design and loving hand in all of our trials for our profit. Weak faith lays hold of Jesus Christ in heaven to shake off fear and discouragement from trials. Now you can even have strong faith to grasp the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven and rejoice in the prospect of spiritual perfection. I said weak faith shakes it off and isn't going to be afraid. Strong faith gets excited that it's happening. There's a difference. And we can all have strong faith by choosing to have it. We gain experience. You know, this knowing that is stuck in the middle of verse 3, knowing, tells us that the real lesson that the Lord wants us to get from verses 3 and 4 is the chain. And not only so means that I have a fourth blessing purchased at Calvary for us in addition to the three that are in verses 1 and 2. But we glory in tribulations also. This is blessing 4. Knowing, this is something we should know, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And I have taught you these things before. Tribulation is a negative event in your life. Patience is you cheerfully enduring that negative event in your life. Experience is having a list or a repertoire or a history of God delivering you from numerous tribulations. And so you get experienced as a Christian, God's always delivered me. When I say those words, I don't think these words up in my office. God has never failed me. Right. God has always delivered me. Every matter, personal and public, meaning you, God has always delivered me. And he'll deliver me from you. And he'll deliver you from me. Word it any way you want. I'm not going to give you any tribulations, the Lord willing. I hope you won't give me any. But we get these negative events. We learn how to handle them cheerfully and endure them cheerfully because we know God's with us. We know the end of them is to gain experience. Experience, I have a whole history. I'm almost 62. I know there's some in here older than me. But in 62 years, I've had a lot, I've had a lot of, ex, of events. I've had a lot of tribulations. And the Lord's always delivered me. So I have, this, I have this vault of experience. And so when anything happens, I know he's going to deliver me again. It is a no-brainer that he's going to deliver me again, no matter what it is. I don't know a passage of Scripture. He's going to show me. I don't know how to help a person. He's either going to help me help them or he's going to get rid of them. He's always done it. He's always faithful. 
You say, well, what if you got cancer? He's got a cure for that, don't you know? He's got a perfect cure for it. I may have it right now. I'm just, you know, with all the bacon I eat. But it doesn't, you know, he's got a cure for it all. And he's never going to fail us. And we have to embrace this. And some tribulations are more visible than others. So there are families in our church that we can see tribulations and know about them. But we trust this God that loves us and saved us by the death of his son when he said, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. And so we we learn that. And the ones that are visible, we are sorry for your tribulations. More than we probably tell you. But we want you to know that we have some invisible ones that you don't see. Because we believe that they're all common and they just differ in type. They differ in type, they differ in kind. But we, we all have them. And so we can gain experience. I would get very personal right now if I wasn't trying to be a little discreet with some of you. Have you obtained some deliverances? You know, there's long-term tribulation. Long-term. And then there are emergency tribulations. Some of you have jobs that are long-term tribulations, almost. But then there's these short-term tribulations. Has he ever delivered you from a short-term tribulation? Joel? Okay. Has he delivered you from more than one or two? So that you've got a history with him? Do you have a history with the Lord? Has he ever failed you? Has he ever deserted you and just let you flounder and die? You know, if we ever flounder and die, it's our fault because we wanted to be out of water and jump up on shore and not give, not use the nice little pond that he gave us to swim in, if you allow me to use that metaphor. Lord, help us. This is a wonderful chain, and it's a loving Father that planned them. No tribulation has ever taken you, but a faithful God and a wise God who knows you and your limits has put a limit on that tribulation just for you. See, he knows me, and I know he knows me. He gives me little ones, like somebody on their cell phone in the car in front of me. That is a tribulation emergency. (laughs) Some of you deal with tribulations. I tell them all the time, I'm sorry that I'm so weak that you can bring me to my knees with a little tribulation and there are other champions that aren't the pastor with big ones. 
but I'm going to fall back on 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I do have other things than cell phone drivers driving cars, cell phone users driving cars. But this accumulates to experience, and experience turns to hope. Bad events, cheerfully endured and understood by God's grace with you, leading you by the hand. He's never good. He's going to be talking to you every night while you go through this. He's going to be with you and give you strength for it. He's going to give you grace. He's going to pull it back. He's going to give you short-term relief from time. He does all these things for us. Short-term relief just to keep us going. He's, he's perfect at it. He's perfect at all this. Trust him. So the negative events endured cheerfully turn into experience because you have a history with the Lord and you know he's going to come through the next time and that is called hope. And that is the hope here. The hope here at the end of verse 4 is not hope of eternal life. It's the hope that results from negative events delivered from by God so that I can cheerfully endure them, results in my experience so that I have history with him so that I know the next time I get a negative event popping up, this is going to turn out just fine. Lord, what's my next negative event? Do you ever start feeling that way? I wouldn't pray it too many times. But Lord, what's my next negative event? Because you have delivered me from all of them. I'm old enough now to know that when tranquility exists, and that means there's no difficulties, no perceivable, worrisome difficulties, life is about to change. That, that is what you, you just learn that. Because the Lord wants me to grow. I can't grow if everything is just peachy. You can't grow if everything is peachy. So he sends tribulation. He helps me get through each one. I learn patience, cheerfully enduring them. It accumulates to a history with him called experience. And experience means you can't do anything to shake me. Let my wife leave me for the Mormons. This is where we all better get. And it's something, this is how Job put it. He didn't say, let my wife leave me because she had already left him. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Right. That's Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Have you got to that point yet? Please say yes. Because if you don't, there's only one way he can teach it to you. And that's with a whole string of tribulations. It's, it's truth. Tribulations work patience. Patience experience. Experience is our history with God, and it leads to hope. Whatever comes up, the Lord's going to deliver me. You say, what if you get cancer and he doesn't cure you? Who said he had to cure me if he gave me cancer? What, what kind of cure are you thinking about anyway? He can cure me by taking me to heaven. Right. But what if I have cancer and I'm... I am not making light of that C word, as it's called in the world. I'm trying to tell you, could a person have cancer and have the presence of God of a double spirit and a double portion in their lives to where they're the ones encouraging the ones visiting them? Right. I'll say one, one name for those that knew her. And I appreciated hearing her in prayer this past Wednesday, this name. Melanie, you want to talk about tribulation? 
bring me your best. I'm going to put it in the scales, and Melanie's trumps it. Anybody that went to see her to cheer her up walked out of there the blessed person. Asked if she could have had her life different. At the end, not a chance. I wouldn't have been as close to her. Because that's the grace in which we stand. No one in here went through in the last year of her life of what she went through. I just bought five more copies of a little book about her. And I would suggest that especially all the women read it. I know of another woman that should read it that's not here. She wasn't rescued. She wasn't rescued. She wasn't rescued. You say, well, she died. Oh, she was rescued before that, and she was rescued by that. Right. She was rescued twice. Yep. And her two rescues are better than anything you've got. How was she rescued before death? The Lord gave her an infusion of his spirit that gave her such joy, confidence, and hope that she wasn't moved. And then she got to die and go to heaven to be with him. And she'll see her family when they come and join her there. It's, it's win-win with the Lord. Amen. Those, that, those verses are just wonderful. And hope maketh not ashamed. What do those words mean? You are never going to be left embarrassed. You are never going to be left alone. You are never going to be left to defeat. You are never going to let be left by others. By, by others not seeing that God is with you. Hope maketh not ashamed. You say, what about those martyrs? They die, but look at the way they died. We're still talking about them 500 years later. There was, there was something tr transcendent inside them, tr shining through them in the, the testimonies that they gave and their eagerness. Don't just kill me. Did I hear that this morning correctly? Don't just kill me. Give me something excruciating to, to endure before I die. Where does that come from? That's grace before you get to die. Then you're with the Lord. Then it's the hope of glory. So you get to rejoice in two different ways. His presence with you now and being in his presence in heaven. Lord, help us to be like this and to, to lay hold of this. This is all purchased by Jesus Christ. Right. Hope maketh not ashamed. You'll never be confounded or disappointed in how the Lord takes care of you. Because, and here's number five, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We have a gift from heaven purchased by Jesus Christ. Do you realize that until Jesus was glorified, no one had the presence of the Holy Spirit like we have the presence of the Holy Spirit? Jesus had to die and be glorified. That's what he said in John 7, 39. John wrote, because Jesus was not yet glorified, so the Holy Spirit was not yet given. But then in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given, and when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's given to us. And Ephesians, which I've already mentioned, and I've tried to push it on you, there's 12 references to the Holy Spirit in six chapters, no epistle like it in the New Testament, telling you about all the different ministries of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a thing, and don't talk about it. It is God himself. The Lord himself is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, being with us, comforting us, and shedding abroad in our hearts love. You have hearts that pitter-patter when somebody looks at you from across a room. I'm talking about juveniles. 
Juveniles have someone look at them across the room and their heart moves. Their stomach turns upside down. They're so excited. From what? Two little bags of mucous membrane looking in your direction by some other juvenile? And the Lord fills our hearts with it from the inside. He sheds it abroad. Susie, why do you love Johnny? Johnny just understands me and knows me, and he loves me. Oh, how much of your heart have you given to Johnny? Quite a bit. You know, just all the, all the conversation I could make up about human love compared to this love from heaven right. when he fills our hearts with it. There's no nook or cranny that misses his blazing love. His love is shed abroad in our hearts. It's not just a little bit. I think he's got part of my heart, some girl says about some guy. Well, that's, that's pitiful. You know, the Lord, can, the Lord can fill our hearts with his love. That's what it says right here. He sheds abroad every word of Romans 5, 1 through 5. Every single word, every syllable is precious. The love of God, that's God's love for us, is shed abroad. It's pushed into every part of our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God has come down on earth and taken up residence in this temple of his, my body, and he fills my heart with his love. And Romans 8 and Galatians 4 says, it causes me to cry out, Abba, Father. Are there times when you shout out to God and you can't really help it? It's just spontaneous? Where does that come from? That comes from the Lord on the inside of us. And it's blessing number five, purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why I started with the fact and the timeline that the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And as soon as Jesus was glorified and had finished the work of justification and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit was given so that we have God in us, God with us, God supporting us, God walking with us, God planning our tribulations, God rescuing us from our tribulations, God giving us a way of escape from our tribulations, God giving us grace, glory, and strength to endure our tribulations. He gives us joy in an inheritance that he's reserved in heaven for us. And we stand in grace where we can go boldly to him to get extra help whenever we want it, and we have peace with him. There shouldn't be anything causing us fear or worry. That's Romans 5, 1 through 5. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.